welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter. Please be seated. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one in, of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Even so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Even so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he'd spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. The servant said to him, Your brother is come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your living with prostitutes, came home, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I've shared with you before, a bit late in life, I suppose, at this point for me, but I do believe Luke's gospel has grown to become my favorite telling of the story of life of Christ, okay? And I've always known I was kind of a Christmas sort of guy, uh, so I love the Christmas story, and it's Luke, only Luke, who gives us the Christmas story. I like the way Luke presents the Lord's Prayer. We touched on that, uh, uh, did we not, Billy, on uh, Wednesday night last uh, Uh, where in Matthew's Gospel, the Lord's Prayer is given at the end of a long sermon, uh, where there are masses gathered around, but in Luke's Gospel, it's much more intimate. See, one of Jesus' disciples come to him while he was at prayer and, and says to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. John the Baptist, he teaches his disciples how to pray. Okay. And Jesus says to the twelve, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And he gives the Lord's Prayer. And that's very appealing to me. And while the church's lectionaries I've shared also cycles through Matthew and Mark, I find Luke provides for me the most robust read of the life of Christ. And I say nothing of the book of Acts, its companion volume, really the only history of the early church that we have. Luke recorded that in Antioch, the ancient city, the early followers of Christ were there first called Christians, followers of Christ. Okay, we owe that title to Luke. Today's gospel's case in point of Luke's influence. In addition to the familiar story of the so-called prodigal son, you also heard two other parables told together. 
uh, that precede that account. And at some point in time, Jesus' parable was erroneously dubbed by, I think, Bible commentators or publishers as the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning extravagant, lavish to the point of wastefulness. And together, these three, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, are presented as a trilogy by Luke as Jesus' response, okay? As Jesus' response to the hostility that he saw displayed by the scribes and Pharisees as they, the privileged, looked upon with disdain Jesus and his commonplace band of followers. (laughs) This man receives sinners and eats with them. The privileged protested to those within their own social, religious, and political bubble Such condescending words from the soon-to-act conspirators were designed to establish position amongst themselves and to elicit affirmation among their peers of their own righteousness. In response, Jesus set forth not one, not two, but three parables. The intent of the parables, you see, was to illuminate how what he was doing was, in fact, the truest expression, reflection of the nature of God, the Father. The Father was not like those who stood and judged at a distance. In a word, Jesus embodied, wanted people to understand that God had skin in the game. Okay, to use a phrase of today, skin like the good shepherd, skin like that determined woman, skin like the forgiving father of an errant son. Jesus began the series of three in this way. What man of you? Or what woman? And then finally, there once was a man who had two sons. Okay. The individual parables, one, two, three, the individual parables were not, again, not about a lost sheep, a lost coin, or a woe-begotten son. Tragically, publishers of the books, publishers of Bibles, glommed on to those now familiar someplace given subtitles, they're not part of Scripture, to dress up their product for sale. A careful listen to the three parables leads you to see that they are affirmatively about the nature of God. They are affirmative. They are not negative. They are affirmative about the nature of God. They're not narratives about the lost. Therefore, God is like a good shepherd who refuses to leave even a single sheep behind to the wolves. God sought and searched until the lost was returned to the fold. Or God is like a woman in possession of an entire household's financial resources and upon discovering that one of the ten precious silver coins was missing, initiated a diligent search. 
She brought light to the dark recesses until that missing coin was found. And of course, the trilogy, three is always a wonderful number. The trilogy, that trinity of parables culminated in the most telling story and the longest parable, by the way, in the entire Bible, the story of the prodigal. But you see, I'm going to contend that if there was a true prodigal in the story, the prodigal proved to be the man who had two sons. Okay? You see, no one needed then, and I'm going to suggest I don't need to stand here today and explain to you how to mess things up. No one needs a lesson in adolescent rebellion. We all get that. The result of each principal character's effort in the end was unto rejoicing when the lost is found and an invitation to rejoice with me. What was needed, what the scribes and Pharisees, I'm going to suggest both ancient and modern, we have Pharisees today, though they don't go by that title, what was needed, what the scribes and Pharisees needed was insight. They needed insight and understanding into the true nature of God. God did not stand afar off with crossed arms in scornful judgment like the scribes and Pharisees in Luke's gospel or even like the good son in the parable. No. God was far too invested in creation to be able to do that. God was deep in creation. God had his own skin, his own kin, his own son in the game. Like the shepherd, like the woman, and like the forgiving father in the ill-named account of the prodigal son. Consider this. If you are not prepared to suffer and to sacrifice for that which you say you love most, you have no insight or understanding into God at all. Let me repeat that. If you are not prepared to suffer and to sacrifice for that which you say you love most, you have no insight or understanding of God at all. You're not the good shepherd. You're not that good woman or the forgiving father. You're more akin to a beast of the field or a scribe or a Pharisee standing with demanding arms crossed. Now notice, I'm, I'm not talking about sacrificing to God either. I'm not talking about making sacrifices to God. That was the old way always trying to appease some randomly angry deity, right? We, we even laugh and joke about throwing virgins into volcanoes. The pagan world knew too much of that. With Jesus' appearance, you see, the, the one true God was revealed as the God who so loved the world that God would sacrifice for the world. God sought, God sought 
that which was his own until he found it and redeemed it and reclaimed it and rejoiced over it. That was why Jesus ate and drank with sinners. That is why Jesus ate and drank with sinners. Believing this ought to bring a tremendous peace to those who seek God in this life, a God ready to rejoice with them, over them, with you, over you. And finally, did you notice that the Father's heart was moved? This, this is easy to overlook. Did you notice when the Father's heart was moved? The Father's heart was moved while the Son was still far off. The Father loved his Son before, not because of his confession, but before the first carefully rehearsed word was ever spoken. Now, I think this is very much at the heart of Paul's own conversion experience. Paul tried the righteousness of the law. He knew what it was about. He was, as he described himself, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. As to the law, blameless, but only through, through faith could he find peace with God. That would lead Paul to be able to write to the Romans, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For a while, we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will one die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us. In that, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In the pagan world, people sacrificed in order to attain a deity's favor. In the Christian world, the deity sacrificed to save the sinners. The lost sheep was returned to the fold. The prize coin restored to the family purse. The woe-begotten child became the apple of his father's eye. Why? Because that is the nature of God. Jesus wanted all to understand that God is above all else compassionate. Compassionate. An interesting word, compassion. It literally means to suffer alongside, to suffer with another. Compassion. It's a special kind of love to be able to do that, to sacrifice and to love 
and to suffer alongside another, the object of your love. To suffer alongside, you see, though, is, is revealed as the very nature of God in Christ. And so we are set now to celebrate the passion of the Christ, who is compassionate, who suffers alongside you. So Jesus taught as he prepared to suffer himself, as he walked the streets of Galilee long ago. And what Jesus taught when he set those three parables before the scribes and the Pharisees, it's no less true today than it was then. Jesus could eat and drink with, (laughs) Jesus could celebrate among those sinners over whom the scribes and Pharisees loved to lord their lofty authority. Why could Jesus do that? Because Jesus was compassionate. Because Jesus is God. The same Jesus comes to your table and to my table whenever we sit down in peace. Tax collector, sinner, farmer rancher, single parent, or at table alone. Jesus comes. He comes to invite us into his table in peace. He invites us to his table today where he is both host and feast. Why? Because that is the nature of the good shepherd, the diligent woman, the forgiving father of today's lesson, the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.